I'm happy to welcome you again to the first night of Silenced Voices, a series of evenings celebrating the work of imprisoned and censored writers. The series is sponsored by Penn American Center's Freedom to Write Committee. We begin tonight with Irina Ratushenskaya, the 29-year-old Russian poet recently sentenced to seven years hard labor, followed by five years internal exile for her poems. On April 23rd, we will celebrate the South African writer Goban Mbeki, and in the fall, the series will continue focusing on Uruguay and the Philippines. The entire series is an outgrowth of the Freedom to Write Committee's dual commitment to bring valuable foreign writers to an American audience and to mobilize concern for the severe human rights deprivations which writers suffer around the globe. Joseph Brodsky will open tonight's program with a discussion of Ratushenskaya's life and work. Marina Chomkina will recite some of Ratushenskaya's poems in the original, and Carolyn Forche and Grace Schulman will read the English translations. The program will close with a tribute by Ilya Nikon. We are using translations from Ratushenskaya's work done by Pamela White Hadas and Ilya Nikon working together, and others by Susan Layton. Unless specified otherwise, the translations we'll be using were done by Pamela White Hadas and Ilya Nikon. Those done by Susan Layton, it will be mentioned that she did them. I'd like to introduce the writers who are with us here tonight at Endicott Booksellers. We thank Endicott for their hospitality. Exactly 20 years ago, a young Russian poet was sentenced to five years in prison at the beginning of a crackdown on writers and intellectuals that has continued in the Soviet Union to this day. This poet, Joseph Brodsky, then age 24, had his prison term commuted to exile in a remote farming village and then was freed entirely after two years, due largely to international protest such as brings us together tonight. This poet owed his freedom also to the intercessions on his behalf by the last of the great Russian poets of her era, Anna Akhmatova. Marina Chomkina, a Russian poet and critic, earned a master's degree in medieval and Russian art history at the University of Leningrad. She has not been published in the Soviet Union, but has been published in periodicals such as Rusika Almanak, a New American, Sagittarius, and other publications in the United States and abroad. Carolyn Forche's two books of poems are Gathering the Tribes, which was the winner of the Yale Younger Poets series in 1976, and The Country Between Us, which received the Lamont Award from the Academy of American Poets in 1981. She has just returned from Beirut, where she worked for seven weeks, in part for National Public Radio and also as a writer. Grace Shulman has just won the Kenneth Smilin Present Tense Award for translation for her translation of T. Carmi's At the Stone of Losses. She is the author of Burn Down the Icons, Poems, Princeton University Press, and of Hemispheres, forthcoming from Sheep Meadow Press. And Ilya Nikon has been a friend of Irina Ratushenskaya since 1974, 
with Pamela White Hodges. He has co-translated many of the poems we shall hear this evening. I'm now very happy to turn the program over to Joseph Brodsky. First of all, there is a no smoking is allowed on the premises, and the second thing is uh, uh, the books are going to be on sale. I guess of the participating participating authors, yeah. Well, everybody, well, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So that's the announcement. So much for that. Well, <coughs> um, how to put it? Well, uh, the crimes, forgiving which uh, is a crime in itself. This is what I presume the perpetuation of crime is all about. Well, in order to avoid perpetuation of this sort, I think we are, or tr to try to avoid such a perpetuation, we are gathered here. Well, Irina Rutushinska, whose poems you're going to hear, she's indeed, well, she's actually, uh, she turned yesterday 30. She's serving um, uh, the sentence, the total of which, the total of the years, given to her, so to speak, uh, uh, is, what, 12 years. Well, that is uh, the girl who is, uh, the woman who is now um, 30, is to see if everything goes like it's planned by the authorities, is going to see uh, uh, the light of this, so to speak, uh, uh, when she's 42. Uh, handling or managing the time, time of uh, its citizens in such a fashion the state presumably, the state in question presumably, tries to ensure its own future. Rotoshinska uh, has been um, charged with manufacturing and distributing uh, poems, some of which you are going to hear tonight. Well, uh, it's a, uh, uh, I give you the direct translation of the charge, uh, manufacturing and distributing, which, um, well, distributing, well, uh, manufacturing uh, poetry is, well, uh, well, is not exactly a crime in itself. Well, well, the main thing is the distribution, obviously. Well, because, well, in that realm, in that country, um, uh, poetry is indeed, in many ways, the only, well, perhaps the only form, remaining form of the free enterprise. Oh, and this is a, a members of the society which is built on the free enterprise, we should be pretty much against it to begin with. Uh, the thing is that uh, mm, uh, Rutoshinsky is indeed, well, uh, uh, a remarkable poet. She's not one of those um, cases uh, which quite frequently hit the air uh, where, mm, well, um, mm, the, uh, ip, uh, simply ipsa facto that the man or the woman touched several times the piece of paper. She is uh, he, she is proclaimed a writer. Well, simply on the ba basis of, well, merely because of what calls, well, it, well, it's not simply, a, well, in this case, we're dealing not simply with the violation of human rights. That would be far too simple. Because you see, what happens in poetry is, um, is something of a lot more significant consequence. Because, well, basically, it's a poet in, in the final analysis, a writer in the final analysis, who uh, supplies or imparts to his society, the language it's going to speak. Well, and um, it's simply uh, the poet very frequently, if it, he's a good one, 
Well, he offers the linguistic plane of regard, which is, go, uh, which is uh, normally beyond the level on which uh, 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 politics do operate, on which political locutions are coined. And, um, and this is what uh, ultimately sets uh, every state or every, in a sense, majority about against um, uh, a writing person. Uh, uh, the thing is, well, uh, I, I don't want to really go at, at, uh, at, at length about all this, but well, the main thing is that well, when, uh, when a poet is locked up, uh, put behind the bars, is, uh, this is not simply a crime, well, it's not a violation of human rights, it's not simply a crime of the politicized state against a writer. Well, it's in fact a far more reaching crime. It's an anthropological crime, or genetic crime, if you will. Because what, it, uh, mm, uh, what uh, the, uh, the government does by uh, uh, imprisoning a poet, in a sense, it's like, well, uh, it's like, mm, well, breaking down a clock that ticks in the house. Well, like, uh, or like, um, well, it's a sort of a tantamount, if you will, to a spiritual castration, temporary perhaps, but nonetheless, a spiritual castration uh, of the uh, people who speak this language. Well, and uh, in the long run, in the long run, um, uh, 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 it's, uh, well, it's going to, well, a certain, uh, I don't really know. Well, there's well, there's several things that I would like to say. Well, in the long run, I think, um, well, uh, it's not even the people uh, uh, who are presently contemporaries of Khrushchev who are going to suffer. In the long run, it's the very well, it's the entire nation is going to suffer. Well, uh, it's uh, it's going to suffer on the precision of the language, to say the least. Now, uh, um, the thing is that uh, well. Here's, well, here's the case. Well, there is a 12 years in store for a woman who is just 30. And, well, uh, in a sense, in a sense, it would be terribly tempting to say that, well, uh, mm, it would be terribly tempting to see in that term a certain proportion to uh, Rotoshinsky's endeavor. Well, that would be, uh, well, I would say it's a little bit too early. She is a young poet. Well, and, uh, well, in no fashion, what she has done, what she has written, deserves such a heavy punishment. Uh, uh, what's more, uh, uh, well, there is nothing really that you can do on the paper that deserves such punishment, as you probably, well, but, but, but uh, aware, well, uh, uh, realize. But the thing is that well, what the government, what the state is punishing, is the very principle of the private, independent, simply thinking, writing, uh, articulating process, yeah? And Rutoshinsky, uh, 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 as I said, is quite young. She's, uh, well, she's 30. Uh, it's, uh, it's too early to talk about uh, uh, her future. Uh, and perhaps it's not even the time and not the place right now to talk about her future, merely because we no, don't know what's going to happen. I'm confident of one thing, obviously, that, well, if she survives this, uh, we are going, well, that is Russians, to say the least, and if we are going to have decent translations, you as well, are going to have, have on our hands a poet of the first class, because uh, the promise she, she shows at the age of 30 is astonishing. She is, a, uh, she is an arrived poet already. 
that is, uh, well, she's, well uh, you're going to hear her poems obviously in translations. I have to warn you a little bit, not because, well, first of all, translations are obviously, uh, well, by definition, they are deformations, well, of the original. Secondly, uh, secondly well, Rodoshinsky is a terribly sonorous poet. Well, and well, uh, Russian being rendered in English loses a great in its sonority, of its sonority. Well, this is one thing. The other thing, well, uh, well, there are obviously inaccuracies in translations. Well, they're bound to be. But in a sense, one, I for one, I do believe in uh, poor translations. Because what they do, they, they, uh, they do a marvelous thing in some respect. That is, if you read them attentively. They, well, whenever you uh, encounter an awkward passage, that unleashes your imagination. Whereas if the passage uh, uh, was uh, were perfect, the line was smooth, that would arrest your mind to its uh, perfection. Well, in this case, well, uh, well, in this case, you are almost, in a sense, fortunate to have this a little bit rough versions of Rapushinska. I'm not trying to make a, uh, a funny point at all. And um, uh, what I would like to say is, well, ultimately is that, uh, well, getting back to this um, business, I don't really know what you can do, what all of you, or individu individually, or together. Uh, but I think, uh, um, I, I think simply, uh, I, think, I, I think simply it's up to you to design on your own terms how you're going to tackle this problem. Well, whether you're going to, well, let it go, or you, or you will design some sort of an action, well, I think uh, what you should do in this case, simply regard it not as a uh, human rights uh, issue, but an issue for your own conscience. To leave it, to let it go, or to act in however ineffective way you may be acting. Oh, she's a terrific girl. She's, well, she's a terrific poet. Much better, well, if such comparisons could be made, comparisons could be made. Much better than most of what you read in English, however perfect and smooth it is. Well, now Marion Tomkin is going to give you some sort of a reading. Yeah, well, one thing I would like to say, one more thing. Well, it's uh, obviously, obviously she's, uh, well, I don't think that you are so well versed in Russian poetry, but obviously you are going to hear in her in, uh, in Rotushinska, in her Rotushinska poems, you're going to hear some echoes. You're going to hear uh, the echoes of somebody like Akhmatova or somebody like Tsvetaeva. After all, Rotushinska is a woman. And she's fortunate to fall into the dependence on those two. Well, uh, I would say that, um, I would say one, uh, I would like to add w only one thing that uh, it's uh, her verse, well, well, I think you need some sort of a specifics. Her verse is. Um, remarkable in, in the sense that it's absolutely direct response towards injustice, towards uh, vulgarity, towards uh, the uh, human humiliation, well, that has been sort of, uh, that the nation has been subjected to, her, her, the speakers of her language has been, have been subjected to. That is, well, she acts in many ways in her poetry, uh, not artfully at the beginning, but as a, as a person who has been hurt. Well, that is well. Men very of, uh, very frequently they well they are driven in in the uh, poetic operation by concerns of all sorts. Well, to be modern, to be uh, well on the same kind of a wavelength as the great people, etc., etc. She acts in the most direct way, more or less in the same way like those two 
other women acted. That is, well, the, those were the only two heads that, have, uh, that haven't gotten gone dizzy by the revolution, by the, uh, by the new social order that has been established in Russia. Rotushinsky is, oddly enough, and almost, well, if you will, in that respect, an incarnation of those two. And she, uh, she's getting the deal, which is very similar to those two great Russian women poets. Well, here's Marina Tomkina, who is going to read to you Rotushinsky in Russian. One sudden said that um, uh, when you read the poem, you first grasp music and then context, and now you are going to hear music. Irina Ratushinskaya. А мы остаемся на клетках чудовищных шахмат. Мы все арестанты. Наш кофе сожженными письмами пахнет, И вскрытыми письмами пахнут почтамты. Оглохли кварталы, и некому крикнуть не надо, И лики лепные закрыли глаза на фасадах, И каждую ночь улетают. Из города птицы, и слепо засвечены наши рассветы. Постойте, быть может, нам все это снится, но утром выходят газеты. and the content of which you've just heard the music. And we remain in place on dreadful chessboard squares, all of us prisoners. Our coffee smells like burned letters, and post offices smell like opened letters. City blocks are deaf, and there's no one there to shout, don't and the chiseled faces on facades have their eyes shut. And every night, birds are flying away from the city, and blindly, our dawns drench with light. Wait, is it just a dream? Could it be? But in the morning, newspapers hit the street. The room is low, dark air corrupts. Though the curtains swing some to and fro, we are playing at being grown-ups. It takes so long to play at being grown-ups, yet we don't have much time to go. Let's keep quiet a while, hands still. Does a dream of hearts really make you ill? Does it terrify, Lord, the first blizzard's chill in the first memory, first circle? But then it spirals away, 
Oh, how assiduously we play. It's a bad job, but who gives a damn? Those who survive at Mother May I, those who will perish at Father Tells Son, right till the last, till one falls down, if only the soul weren't damned this way. Don't kill yourself playing, little one. It will be done for you someday. Oh, how cold it is in our valley. Snows not begrudged by our local angel. Small angry lizards dance in the fireplace and I keep pretty warm in my green shawl. You write and revise. You are low in spirit. Sleeve and notebook splashed with black ink. As you touch the keyboard, you fuss and fret. I won't disturb you. I will simply slink off to keep an eye on household chores with an old lady's set of keys in hand to copy out for you all your scores and to trim the wick of the candle end. There are no icon lamps nor sly Madonnas in our crude place of worship sturdily built. Here the organ pipes are motionless and the rigid cannon bears no guilt. And here are four elements on top of that and a wise and greasy conical cap. I'm not crying, my dear, I'm really not. It's nothing, keep on writing, keep it up. It's not Verona's summer, I know that. And the breeze of black lace is gone. Write for me a canzonette. My darling, just one canzonette. God won't take offense at just one. Leningrad triptych raised this city's eyelids, no one could. The street is slanted, don't run there. In a city of the dead, the living must make good. Do you hear already their boots on the stair? In this lost state, grass won't grow for ages. In this silence, only a dream shout is felt. Our breath's a trophy where this winter rages. On the lips of passers-by, the slow the snow won't melt. And so a black horse is bathing in a black river. A diagonal splash. Officers stand by the water. And so it is snowing on white fields. And freedom melts on our lips. We move from square to square. No, don't cry. Let the queen's crown not be for you. Don't cry, don't appear in my dreams. My square is deadly. How simple it is to graze the planet's wing, not with a stroke of the pen, with just a wave of the hand. Don't do it. Don't look there. 
This isn't the first time we've had such a December, mixing bullets and wings. Do we have to know why the river turns black? Why this darkness, Mother of God? I could light a green icon lamp. Would you like me to? Or, no, perhaps that's bad. You're a little girl at a window looking through, whose steps are heard in Petrograd, and still it makes a difference for you. Over Russia's wheat fields once, a pre-war wind unfurled, and a funny high school kid in love with all the world hunched over Magellan's maps, burning candles, and growing up. All according to plan, wasn't it, Lord? Under the freezing sky, all lands, the real and unreal, were ecstasy to him, Sorrento's orange groves. Softly said, new words on his lips, in his ear, clouded his soul. Barbarians stormed the veil, he'd say in Latin, as if longing for that veil in his heart, a captive there. And as the town of Isum lay under blankets of snow, he'd, re he'd read how slave girls stomped grapes in vats, dancing in their task to the laughter of their copper bracelets, and his throat went as dry as last summer. An ancestor in buckskin smiled down from the wall, lots dimmer with years, yet somehow infinitely youthful. December, glass-bound as the dining-room clock stood waiting, gave him no word, just a look. Then spring, a little slattern, her stockings wet, came laughing, yanked him around this way and that, kissed the dimple at his temple, teased him till he grew mute. All classes in somersaults, all laws askew. He'd run down to see the ice flows as April blew clouds like soap bubbles through the end of a straw. Marcus Aurelius lay open with an ancient repose to a wrong page. Street vendors hawked apples. Birds froze way above church bells in the blue-eyed abyss. Already his words were too few for that sadness. The motherland put out a hand to touch his hair. He's reached the right age to enlist. And that is where it all began. He died as he dreamed, in battle, defending the flag. Why this? Why us? Can you tell us, God? It's impossible. This next translation is by Susan Layton. We elude the translator's phrasing. What is verse? The aroma of hazy rings exhaled by a cigarette smoker? But no poisonous fumes will drift over. Bluish grasses, a thing light and buoyant. So an odor of something burning spells the genuine. 
Such a notion is widely accepted. Before battle begins, an unshredded banner waves in the field, still untested. Then the tattering starts. Grant protection, Lord. The people behind cannot be faulted, having hair with a smoky fragrance. This is fate with unchanging power. Just as banners in Russia, poets are expected to come under firing, to win spots on lists which are final. The poem, um, which wasn't uh, hasn't been tra translated, uh, because the form is um, uh, ditty. It's um, mother goose form, familiar to everybody. Um, I'm just going to say some words. Um, um, she calls it a crazy ditty or neurotics ditty. Um, pitch your manuscripts in the toilet bowl because they don't give you any rights to write. And uh, don't talk about anything because uh, we will come to arrest you. And uh, further, I am scared to go on. <coughs> in Russian, it is. Эх, раз, еще раз, брось бумагу в унитаз. Раз, два, раз, два, не качай свои права. Раз, два, три, ни о чем не говори. Раз, два, три, четыре, чтобы не взяли на квартире. Раз, два, три, четыре, пять. Дальше страшно продолжать. To my friend Valery Senderov. All over the camps, they babbled about him, bandied his story in sweaty transport cars. They wrote their mothers about him in letters home. In the torture holes, they raved of him, not getting hoarse. Nobody knew how much time he'd done, but they knew this. He shared his tea and ration, and once gave his coat to a kid at the deportation and fed the hungry what he rustled up in the zone. All they had were shaky facts and rumor salad. What did he get picked up for? They tried to guess. It was for love, some said. Others whispered agitation, no less. He could get sausage, replace their poor slop. Not squeamish, scabs, lice, whatever they had, he'd treat. He didn't ask women to give up their sins. With compassion, he forgave, understood. He soothed their pain with a touch of his hands and taught, the cage is for animals, not for you. Yet the faithfulest of his friends were ready to rat on him for a package of pills. 
With your ignorant souls, he used to say, there's no point really in blaming you. His anger was rare. But in the Butirskaya jail, they gossiped plenty about how he'd mangled a squealer. Some were released having paid their debt. Others waited in vain for amnesty. But he would never be eligible for that, especially dangerous as he was thought to be. These four fellow inmates coming home from jail wrote down all the stories about him they knew. So they were picked up again, each with his file reopened for this new crime to be added to. Then they carted him off to some unknown place. And where is he now? In exile? In the mines? Or maybe under a Siberian crust of ice? You'll have to ask his traveling companions. A little joke. Apparently, the earth still looks like a cucumber. Here is one end, and there is the other. And of course, you are on one end, and I am on the other end. In the middle are pimples, more than that, nothing. And all the bitterness is precisely concentrated on the ends. This is what is called the law of the cucumber. And I cry, bitter, and you say, aha. And on your end of the cucumber, you kiss Baba Yaga the witch. Watching over it all is our creator and father who ponders, well, why not slice the cucumber? Maybe plane it lengthwise or across. And let him ponder, after all, he's God the father. Lord, how is life for him? Keep a watchful eye, lest that bare cubbyhole apartment drive him to madness. Make his pain a dark secret and lend to his face a light meant for two so the world shall perceive adversity mastered. With a lifted cup, I salute the force of your will See the ease of that gesture, my hands held high without trembling. But with being's radiant armor, protect his soul from the jeers of the rabble. Unlike him in obscurity, I have a road so plain, polished smooth by the multitudes, memorizing each pebble. I can manage this task, just watch me. But please keep him safe from the nooks of insane asylums with spider webbing. Do not dispossess him, depriving him of your strength. Do not let your hand fall carelessly from his shoulder. From eternity's alloy of spirit and truth, let him fashion a chain and manacles for our sorrow. When we stand in your presence in the next life, asking nothing except a companionship past all fractures, past the power of angelic trumpets or rending knives, 
we will look at you, ready to give you our answers. Ballad about a wall. May it be served upon us in the first degree. We sang together. Now they will keep us apart. One time we freely bore orders straight over the heart. This is quick. Already in the gun's sight is the white mouth and shattered forehead. May it be served more vertical and white than any bed. Out of the night's cries, horrors, you could step across the line. Oh, my enrollment and sainthood that doesn't require singing to reach heaven. We are ascending, and on the scorched wall's masonry, my shoulder blades will press in the last two steps I see imprinted there wings. This next translation is by Susan Layton. Now that traitor and bastard criminal, that arch adversary of truth, that large moat in the eye of authority, what a joke! She's cutting a tooth. As a chick emergent, it rattles without wanting to know the rules. Barring windows can't solve this matter. Spring arrives and everything blooms. Pending confirmation, my sentence heads a list in the Supreme Court. I should whine for them to be lenient. But a plot has hatched in my mouth. Morning presses into the prison and a starling squawks in my brain. What a useless version of wisdom or orthodontical in its claim. What's the answer? A search is coming. The inspectors will raise a howl. And for failing to check us closely, unobservant guards will catch hell. Regulations define this strictly. Pointed objects are not allowed. It just grew? What a likely story. Are provisions for this in the code? Look, you smart aleck, quit the capers. That's the reason we've got you here. See the toothless gums of your neighbors? But you let new molars appear. Did a parcel provide concealment? Does this show a faker's finesse? Hiding television receivers bought with funds from the NTS? Do you know how a suicide sets out? Learn it by heart. There will be no tears, no last note, no soul picked apart, no word goodbye, no eye to the beyond, let there be, no memory, don't do it and get up from your knees. Don't kill yourself. It's out of character. Just clear the table. Don't leave a thing behind. As upon any 
departure. This translation is by Susan Layton. Stars cascade from the zenith and cold fills the heaven's dominion as a crescent moon rises. Hold on without losing your grip. Close your eyes. There in the circumscription of weary vision moves a skater with draftsman's precision inscribing his rings. Shades of gray disappear in a blurry engraving of winter. Phrases stern as a beggar resound with a verb's hollow roar. Measured crosswise, four paces, the length takes a fifth to the window. Ludicrous blinking comes from the eyeball encased in the door. Nearby, interrogations drag onward with monotonous slyness. As a soldier parading, the young guard struts, artlessly crass. What tranquility, wandering through winter landscapes in silence, without nose, single syllables slipping through lips, dry and cracked. I lose track of the weeks as my clockwork of snow starts failing. But my eyes have grown dimmer, my forehead increasingly hot. Through the fever and chills, I shall finish this passage to April. I am walking that road with my shoulder beneath the Lord's hand. It has been almost exactly ten years since I first met Irina Ratoshinska. At that time, we both were students in the University of Odessa. I just a few years older than she. We were working on a script for a show. It was a comedy club style show. And there was a whole bunch of people sitting and writing. I didn't know all of them. And by that time, it was clear that I'm not a great writer. So I was um, performing the functions of an editor. I've been told many times after that that it is not very unusual. <laughs> so I was sitting there trying to paste together and kind of um, make uniform various pieces of script which were coming from different people. And I noticed that all the time the best fragment comes from one girl and she, she happened to be the only female writer in that group. Uh, her name was Irina. She was slender. She was about f five feet six. And uh, she had that straight hair. You know, she looked a little bit like Mary from Peter, Paul and Mary. <laughs> only her hair was brown. It was two years until I was allowed to see her first poem. Uh, that poem happened to be about airplanes. What happened was that she wanted to fly, and she was denied a pilot license because she had a lack of some kind of reflex and some obscure 
muscle in her ankle. And neither you nor I have ever heard of anything like that. And uh, for all I know, the Soviet Union must be the only place where, where they check for this kind of things. So she was very unhappy about it, and she wrote a poem. Uh, this thing about the airplane, she, and, and for many years after that, she uh, could not reconcile with the fact that she cannot fly. And it's, it's very typical of her. Uh, because, you know, the poet uh, somehow frequently is supposed to spend many hours in a half-lit room uh, writing poems and being otherwise unhappy. <laughs> and uh, it was very different with her. First of all, you could almost never find her at home. She was always outside. She was an excellent swimmer. She could uh, uh, easily swim a couple of miles away from the shore, leaving her more timid friends way back. I mean, way back. She, would, uh, she was a very good jogger. She was a first-class ping-pong player. Uh, I think that she probably wrote most of her poetry in her endless hiking trips. She was somewhere hiking around all the time. She also loved brisk walks through the winter town streets. She, she chose pretty cold weather for that somehow. Sometimes I joined her, we would come back um, uh, and fix some coffee. Uh, we preferred Turkish. And we would talk about gypsies and witchcraft and other important things like that. And sometimes I would read for her Osip Mandelstam and she would give me some lessons in ancient Russian history. Well, as it turned out, she was intimately involved with that history. Uh, one branch of the, her family is the, is, uh, has a family named Bulgak. It happens to be a very old Russian name. Uh, people of that family preferred not to serve too much and therefore are not well known to historians, but two younger branches of that same family, Kuragini and Galitsyny, left quite an imprint in Russian history. Uh, perhaps even more significantly, another branch of her family came from a rebellious Polish family, uh, the family which was very active in anti-Russian revolts. Uh, I remembered about that many times during the Solidarity Days in Poland. So. you, however tempting that may be. I would like you to think about a slender young woman which looks like Mary from Peter, Paul and Mary, only with brown hair. A very loyal friend. After some of the poems that you heard tonight, perhaps it is tempting for you to think about her as a political activist who chose poetry as the weapon of her struggle. Please resist this temptation. It's, it's wrong. But she is as a poet who would not relinquish her honesty, even when writing about her country. And so this is for this crime that she's sentenced to 12 years. And if she serves that time, she will be released past her childbearing age. I tried in the past several weeks to get through on the phone to her husband who lives in Kiev, and I did manage to do it just before I left yesterday. Here's what I found out. Their meeting, which they're entitled to, was postponed again. He is not at liberty to talk 
about the reasons for that. I, I, I have a feeling that he knows why, but he cannot talk about it. They already disconnected his phone once. Perhaps he is afraid they will do it again. Uh, it is not good news at all, of course. Since last November, she received only one letter from her. She is entitled to two a month. Well, what can we do to help her? I do not know whether we can do much, but there is something which I would like to ask you to do. I have here a, um, a few pages. Uh, each of them contains two addresses. Uh, I would like you to write them a letter or two. We had a bunch of pre-printed cards and we thought about distributing them, but then you know, we decided uh, it's doubtful that the Soviet authorities would be terribly impressed but this sort of orchestrated campaigns. But I think if you just take this page with two addresses and light, write these two letters and just put it whatever way you feel, maybe that will help. Thank you all very much for attending this evening. And please pick up those pages, they're right here. My Lord, what can I say that's not been said? I stand beneath your wind, between your breath and pitch-dark plague-dark cloud. O oh Lord, my God, at my interrogation, what will I say if forced to speak to face the country's way, deaf, Mute, in the body's rags, bruised nearly dead. O oh Lord, my God, how will you dare to judge which law is true? What will you say when I come, at last burst through? Stand, my shoulder propped against the glass wall and look at you and ask nothing at all. Irina Ratushinskaya. It was a translation, right? Господи, что я скажу, что не сказано прежде? Вот я под ветром твоим в небеленой одежде, Между дыханием твоим и кромешной чумой, Господи мой. Что я скажу на допросе твоем, Если велено мне не умолчать, Но лицом повернуться к стране, в смертных потехах и в клочьях разлуки, И глухо не мой, Господи мой. 
как ты посмеешь судить? О какому суду? Что ты ответишь, когда я прорвусь и пройду? Встану к стеклянной стене, прислонившись плечом, И погляжу, и тебя не спрошу ни о чем. Since we don't have enough papers to go around for the addresses, I would like to dictate to you the addresses for those of you who have a pencil and paper and would like to take them down. The first one, are you ready? Initial F, initial K, Gluch, G-L-U-K-H. And on the next line, a small letter G with a space followed by the word Kiev, K-I-E-V. And on the next line, Kreschatik, K-R-E-S-H-C-H-A-T-I-K. That's K-R-E-S-H-C-H-A-T-I-K. Number two. Republikanskaya, R-E-S-P-U-B-L-I-K-A-N-S-K-A-Y-A. That's R-E-S-P-U-B-L-I-K-A-N-S-K-A-Y-A. And the second word is Prokutu... <laughs> Procuratura. It's P-R-O-K-U-R-A-T-U-R-A. That's P-R-O-K-U-R-A-T-U-R-A. Procuroru. P-R-O-K-U-R-O-U-R-U. P-R-O-K-U-R-O-R-U, rather. Initial F, initial K, Gluku. G-L-U-K-H-U. That's the first address. And there's one more. It's very simple. It's simpler than the first one. Konstantin Chenenko. K-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N. Konstantin. K-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N. Chenenko. C-H-E-R-N-E-N-K-O. I'm sure you recognize the name. Moksva. M-O-S-K-V-A. M-O-S-K-V-A, second, and, and the third line, Kreml, K-R-E-M-L, K-R-E-M-L. On the next line, capital G-E-N-E-R-A-L-N-O-M-U. Second word, S-E-K-R-E-T-A-R-Y-U. Space, capital T, small s, capital K, space, Capital K, capital P, capital S, capital S. Thank you. Konstantin Chernenko. Konstantin Chernenko, C-H-E-R-N-E-N-K-O. Moskva, M-O-S-K-V-A. That's the second line. Moscow, the Kremlin, or K-R-E-M-L. And the last line. G-E-N-E-R-A-L 
N-O-M-U, next word, this is the General Secretariat, I assume, S-E-K-R-E-T-A-R-Y-U, space, capital T, small s, capital K, Soviet Union, capital K-P-S-S. Thank you. Thank you. Please do call me. I'd be happy to. to